there's a column for that A1, A2, B5, B6, A, B9. Ooh, ooh, ooh. We know those are cells. Hello, welcome to 2021 and our 11th episode of There's a Column for That. I'm your host, author, storyteller, and podcaster, Jamie Beth Cohen. Today, I'm talking to writer Michelle Bacon about writing, spreadsheets, and games. I met Michelle when I applied for a novel writing mentorship program. As part of the interview process, we had an interview which we had scheduled to do by phone because she was in Seattle and I was in Pennsylvania. I had planned to do the interview from my home, but at the last minute, I got called away. So the first thing I ever said to Michelle was something like, This is still a good time to talk, but I just want you to know I'm sitting in an outdoor chapel in a nun's cornfield, and if pipeline workers show up, I'm going to need to hang up. Also, I'm Jewish. She, to her credit, said something like, oh, tell me more about that. So the first thing Michelle learned about me was that my family and I were involved in a fight to stop a gas pipeline for coming through our community. The next thing she learned was that I had published an essay about how I stopped shaving my legs in the winter, and now I was getting random pictures from women of their hairy legs. Despite all this, she agreed to be my mentor, and the rest is history. In this chat, we talk about how she uses spreadsheets to help writers plot their novels, which is something I am horrible at. But if you're interested in working with her on that, and you are a woman or non-binary person of color, please sign up for her upcoming course. She's also available as a coach for all writers. We also talk about the new greeting cards I'm making with my daughter and selling at my husband's comic book store, and we talk about my essay that was published in the Huffington Post. Links to all that are in our show notes. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at column underscore pod, and please be in touch. My chat with Michelle was recorded on December 17th, and we're releasing it on January 15th. Please remember to wear your mask. Black lives still matter. Joe Biden is still the president-elect. And remember, spreadsheets save lives. Welcome to There's a Column for That. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Where you're from, where you live, how you identify, what line of work you're in? Do you have hobbies or passions that take up a lot of your brain space unrelated to spreadsheets? How do we know each other? Feel free to answer any or all. I live and die by the spreadsheet. (laughs) I'm Michelle Bacon and I live in Seattle. Um, I am not from Seattle, but this is very much home for me. I've been here for seven years now, I think. And uh, I live with my family full time, all the time, every day right now. I have three young girls and uh, my partner, who is male. Um, I am queer, though. And uh, I have lots of hobbies and I use spreadsheets for all sorts of things it wasn't intended for. Um, But my work is... Twofold, I work in writing and teaching writing, and also I do a lot of nonprofit work. And I find that whatever I'm doing, there's going to be a spreadsheet involved, if not 117 spreadsheets. And uh, I, I don't know if you know this, but I often refer to you as my mentor. Not with regard <laughs> to spreadsheets, but with regard to writings. We were paired in a mentorship program. 
um, through the binders, binders of women writers. We were paired for like six months, I think. I think we had six months to work on the project. But I have this thing wherever I'm mentoring someone or I have someone in my class, it just, you know, they're just incorporated into my writing community and then I never let go. So, you know, we're stuck with each other for life. Um, but that's how you and I started talking about spreadsheets because you were working on a book and the plot was not firm. And I said, hey, I made this tool which helps people to plot their manuscripts and makes their plots better and more complex and makes their characters more interesting, not just the protagonist, but just a really thoughtful way to plot a novel. Um, and that's how we started talking about spreadsheets. And then I was living in Seattle and you, so you were on the East Coast and we met at a soccer field when I was on the East Coast for some writing events. And uh, while Jamie's kids played soccer, we just sat in a car together, first time we met, sat in a car with these spreadsheets <laughs> trying to figure out what to do with your plot. When you first told me about your plotting device, you said, how do you feel about spreadsheets? And I was like, hi, I'm there. What do you, tell me everything. <laughs> Which is funny. So when, so I teach this 10 week writing course now and in the writing course, we, we start from scratch. So in this particular course, everyone is writing a manuscript from the start. And a lot of people are writing their first ever manuscript, but I don't take students who have no writing experience. Um, so they all have some sort of experience with craft and I emphasize, like, we're going to do the character work and we're going to be prepared with where you're going at the end of the manuscript. But then for this class, we're going to use spreadsheets. And about half of the class is always, um, you know, on the edge of cursing or something else unsavory. And by the end of class, you know, some people are converts and some people are really kind of damning the spreadsheets. But we get there. And there, there are people who come back to me um, who I've had in my community since before you, so five, six, eight years, and say, that actually really helped me. And, and you know, everybody plots their own way. All writers find their own way to their end of their story. This is just one more tool in your toolbox. Um, but it has made my books better. Like, if you read my first book, you can tell that book was not plotted. It was not plotted. That's so <laughs> interesting because it's so plot-driven. I mean, it's it's like... I mean, the equivalent of like a chase scene, like it's- Yeah, but a really slow chase, Jamie. Um, <laughs> even, like, if I look, if I were writing that story now, I would plot it and it would be much better. But you know, we're all growing as writers. Right. I love, love the way my second novel was plotted. Um, and that was a late stage change, like three. So between selling the book and turning the book in, I got cancer and a whole lot of cancer treatment and then I couldn't write. And so um, three weeks before the manuscript was due in a deadline we'd already pushed back, three weeks before it was due, a friend of mine who had read the manuscript said, you know what, this is really great. And it only needs one thing it needs like a complete restructure. And so, <laughs> and so like three weeks, I wrote a bunch of new scenes and I restructured the whole thing and I plotted it out and I fixed it. It was a lot of work. It was, you know, some of the hardest three weeks of my writing life, I think. But, you know, spreadsheets, they'll save your life every time.
They will. I agree. And I, you know, well, I don't know if you know this, that I can't plot a novel because it steals the joy for me of writing into the characters. Mm -hmm. But what that means is I frequently throw out 40,000 words, like Mm -hmm. 40,000 words now twice has been my like, I'm at 40,000 words. That's so amazing. Oh my gosh. I can't, write the next scene. There's no next scene. So I have used your device to plot an entire novel that I have not written because it just became (laughs) boring to me because I knew what was going to happen next. Mm -hmm. However, I'm currently doing a revision of my second novel, which is the sequel to my first novel. And I actually have a document, a spreadsheet called Michelle Chart draft three. That's the name of the Excel spreadsheet. And what I was able to do was I wrote a whole draft. It's, it's on the short side. It's probably around 65,000 words. And then I created the plot device that is now I'm, that I'm now using to go back and do the revision work. So like there'll be, um, there's like an empty row that says, write XXX scene here, like whatever that scene. So like, I know what scenes need to be written to get to where I need to go. Um, And they're in red and then I get to turn them green when they're done. Um, So it's very, it's visual for me and very um, inspiring and motivating, but I have decided, and you once said to me like, yeah, you can write a whole first draft without this. It's just going to take you longer to finish the book. Like if you need to do a book quickly, you need to plot it so that you can write it. And I just don't write quickly. And that's right. okay for now because I'm doing 6 million other things. Um, <laughs> if I were, if I, if someone bought a book on spec, like on a, on a, a proposal and I needed to turn it in, you sure bet I'd be using the Michelle chart from the very <laughs> beginning. And it may have changed a bit since you last saw it. It may um, have, but it also, I will tell you the book, that you and I plotted together when you taught me the spreadsheet mm-hmm. technique, I could go back to it any moment and pick it up and start writing. I mean, I think that's the beauty of that spreadsheet is now when I've taken an extended break from a manuscript, I literally have to read everything I've written to know what I can do next. Whereas with your chart, I know what needs to happen in each chapter. So it's just a matter of sitting down and writing it and I may come back to it. No work is lost. There you go. No work is lost. Well, you know what they say, um, what can pantsers learn from plotters? Well, they can learn how to see 10 step ahead, steps ahead and they can learn about structure and they can learn about building suspense and they can learn about, you know, if you look at the, the triangle or the pyramid or any way you're going to plot a story, you can see that visually if you're a plotter. And what can plotters learn from pantsers? Joy. Um, I love that. I think it's very true. Um, but you know, I'm a very structured person, so. I am too. But when it comes to writing, I am just, it's not that the characters tell me what they need, but they do, they do speak their dialogue and that's dialogue's the fun part for me. So I just let them tell me, but then that did end me up 40,000 words on a beach in California. And I, I had nowhere for them to go next more generally or more specifically how do you interact with spreadsheets in your work or your life? So are there other interesting things besides plotting that you do with spreadsheets that you would oh, like everything. to share? Everything. everything. I mean, yourself. I store a lot of things in spreadsheets for which you really, you know, there may be a different tool other people use, but I always go to the spreadsheet first. So 
um, I run a program in Seattle called Secret Garden, which is a bookshop, Secret Garden Book Elves program. And we get books into the hands of kids who maybe don't have books um, in their life. And so I work with a bunch of schools to figure out how many kids need books and then work with the bookstore. And then we have patrons come in and purchase the books and then we wrap the books. And um, so I track all of that in a spreadsheet, like which kids come from which schools, what books do they want or do they want a read alike book? Um, but as they go through the process, you know, it's their name is hung in the store or that has been purchased or the book is in my house already or the book has been wrapped and delivered, whatever. So it helps me track everything on that project, which is good. Um, we just moved. We moved in May and, and, you know, I used a spreadsheet to track everything we needed to do for that. Um, when we moved to Seattle, there was a spreadsheet, but then my movers came with a different list of all the boxes numbered, which didn't really correspond to my list of what all the boxes were, which I found very frustrating. But, you know, you get through it. We, in my house, um, we are not Christian, but we do celebrate a really secular Christmassy sort of thing. And I track everyone's gifts there and I change the colors based on where they are. Like, have I purchased it or is it just an idea or have I agreed with my partner that this is what we're getting the child and what are they getting from each other and, you know, to make sure everything happens. Um, I use them for everything. I'm on a roller derby board and I was in charge of a, a big event for them this year and I tracked everything for every player in there. And it's basically a way I can organize my brain because I always have about 10 million things going on in my brain simultaneously. I recently came up with an idea for a, like a gift cards that I wanted to sell potentially. I was thinking about, well, could, could this happen? Could I buy blank cards at a price that I could then sell them at a reasonable price and still be a profit and still give money to charity from that? And, and I was, you know, lying in bed thinking about it. And of course I pulled up a spreadsheet and I started working on it and I figured it out. And I said to my husband, do you want to sell these in your store? Like the easiest way for me to sell anything is to go through his store because it's already set up as a store. Where's this? I don't know about this. Oh, he sells comic books online. He and a, a partner sell comic books online. And so there's an online store. They have an eBay presence, but there's also an, an online store that they run. And um, he said, well, yeah, I'd have to talk to my business partner, but it sounds like a good idea. Can you give me a small business plan? And I was like, well, I can give you a spreadsheet. And he's like, well, I think maybe you might want to write a narrative to go with the spreadsheet. I was like, it's all in the spreadsheet. What do you need a narrative for? But of course I did what he asked and I wrote a narrative to go along with the spreadsheet and um, the, the store riverbendcomics.com. They get, <laughs> they get plugged in lots of what I do, but um, it was like, it was an idea in my head, but it was so amorphous until I put it in a spreadsheet. The head is too messy. The spreadsheet is very neat. So It is very neat. And I carry a lot of my spreadsheets over season after season and year after year. Um, and you know, like when, when my children were very young, I would track their height and weight. And I never told my pediatrician about it. But once we moved to Seattle, I let my pediatrician know. And she's like, we, we can just print that out for you. And I said, yeah, but in my spreadsheet, I can just make a chart. And she said, yeah, we can turn that into a chart too. And I thought, damn, I don't need that, but I want it. 
So with three children in, in every year before 2020, I was trying to figure out how to make summers work. So I don't write in the summer anymore, usually. And I'm just with the girls full time. But three children, when, when there are three children in a room, two of them get along and one of them is the outcast and that child is sad. And so I try to structure my weeks based on what I can do with them so everyone is happy. And I've been keeping track of that in spreadsheets for 10 years. And so I can say, oh, like you took that really challenging swim class um, that lasted for four weeks. That was three years ago, um, which is handy. And I do the same thing with family gifts and where everything is in the house and what we got rid of. And, and it's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we may have already covered this, but do you have a, a biggest or a favorite problem, program, or project you've tackled with spreadsheets? Um, we have for sure. We moved to New Zealand when my youngest child was three weeks old, which was interesting. Um, but it was, it, we didn't actually fully move there. So my partner had an 18 month appointment at the University of Canterbury, which is in Christchurch. And <clears throat> so he got the appointment when I was very pregnant and he had to show up there on the first of the year or the first working day of the year in 2013 when I was um, eight months pregnant. And so I couldn't fly. And so we took all of our things out of our house in Chicago and we moved 80% of it into storage and 15% of it into my in-laws house, you know, like the bikes or the things we really needed until we left or the things we would want as soon as we came back to the States. So I had a spreadsheet of where everything was and in that same workbook, I was tracking all the addresses we needed to change and all the people we needed to tell and, you know, all the financials and how we were going to get there and the pieces of luggage and, you know, all the information you need for an international move with three children. So we moved all of that stuff around and then we sold the house in the States because I was going to have a baby. We we're going to need a bigger house anyway. And then we moved to New Zealand and we moved like four giant boxes plus luggage. But then we came back, we didn't move to Chicago. We moved to Seattle. And so I had the stuff in storage in Chicago and the stuff in my in-laws house in Chicago and the stuff we'd taken to New Zealand and the stuff we'd purchased in New Zealand and these five bodies and needed a vehicle. So all of the logistics of that, I tracked in spreadsheets. It was amazing. It was so great. <laughs> and then like everything just fell into place. Sure. It was great. Sure. It was a lot though. I do not recommend moving internationally with a three week old baby and two other children when your partner is already in the other country. It's not a good idea. But we did it. <laughs> so were you guys only apart for three weeks or like, was it six weeks? Like how much, how? Eight. Eight weeks. So, so he went eight weeks prior. Okay. Yeah. So he went just before New Year's okay. because with the time change and needing to start on the first day, I don't remember what the first work day right. was, the second or the third or something. And, uh, and so I moved in with my in-laws and my three children and so it was really nice after the baby was born because 
um, you know, when I was up in the middle of the night and she was nursing, we could just have Skype calls. We Skyped yeah. then. Yeah. And that was fabulous. It was a nice, like it was nice for us to be yeah. talking without any children, which as you yes. know, doesn't happen very often ever. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but then we couldn't get a lot of my baby's paperwork done until she was actually out. So even though we had her name, um, we couldn't do a lot of stuff. So I had this giant list in order the critical path to yep. get us out of the country and we yeah. wound up leaving um when she was three weeks old what about the limits of spreadsheets what kind of problems can they not solve or what projects can they not help you tackle which i think is funny the way you said you couldn't get a lot of the paperwork for her until she emerged into the world right like you could have the best spreadsheet you want but you can't get a birth certificate for someone until they're born, <laughs> but like what other yeah. <laughs> social security card, none of that. All that, yep. I mean, certainly there are things that live outside of the spreadsheet, but there are very few things for which I wouldn't use a spreadsheet. I mean, certain lists, I'm a big list maker. I have really um, serious clinical anxiety and writing things down is one way that I help cope with some of my anxiety. So um, I use lists for a lot of things. And any list that requires more than one column just goes into a spreadsheet. Um, but yeah, I mean, like kids, like parenting. Spreadsheets don't help me with parenting at all. Is this the right thing I'm doing? Well, you'll know it's right in 30 years, but you don't know today. They don't really, they help me with some parenting things like gift buying or schooling or summers or who has which teacher or the addresses of all the people I need. Um, but like, they don't help me with my day-to-day -day parenting stuff by and large. Although I think if you, if someone said to you, you are not allowed to use a spreadsheet for the next, next six months, you would find parenting much more challenging. Well, I mean, what are they saying? I can't use Excel or I can't make my own spreadsheet because like I can make some sort of a spreadsheet in a word processing document. I don't think I could function without them. There's just, um, there's too much going on in my brain. And I'm also a big control freak. I'm a control freak. And it's not that I have to control everything, but if I'm working on a small project, I will be infinitely more useful if I have the big picture. And so I want the big picture of everything, but I can't store all that in my small brain. So I store it in spreadsheets. I 100% agree. I still think that if someone told you you were not allowed to use a spreadsheet of any kind, parenting would become more difficult and therefore parenting spreadsheets do actually help you with parenting. I'm yeah. just making a plug for spreadsheets. They help. They yes. absolutely help, but they do not solve my problem. That's what I was saying. That was the question. Does it solve, is there any problem it doesn't solve? Yes. yes. Parenting, world peace, politics, all of those things. Yeah. It helps, but it doesn't solve those. Right. What's the silliest thing you've ever put in a spreadsheet? I don't think anything. I don't think, I think organizing everything cannot possibly be silly. I, I appreciate that answer. I also I do. Like, I've I, been thinking about this. I don't, I don't think anything. Yeah, I don't have a, a lot list. of things about me are silly. You know, <laughs> I, um, you know, I am absolutely enamored of board games. I cannot get enough board games. 
And, you know, when I'm awake in the middle of the night, I will use a spreadsheet to rank the board games I want and their costs and use that to make a formula to tell me what it's most economical to purchase. Like why? I mean, I use them for a lot of numbers things. I use a lot of the, um, a lot of the formulas. I use Excel and I use a lot of the formulas. So what you don't know about me as a writer is I also have productivity spreadsheets. So I have two separate ones. One that says, okay, I want to be done with this book by my deadline. So my current deadline is January 15th. And I want to have a draft that is say 60,000 words. How many words, knowing which days I'm gonna work and which days I can't work, how many words do I need to write today? Um, So that's great. And another one that sort of works the other way that has formulas in it that tell me based on how much I've written today and in days past when I am going to finish. So if I don't have a deadline, but I just want to forecast, I do that. And you know, when I'm editing a book, I always go through with brackets. And so when I get feedback from early readers, like you gave me feedback on the manuscript I co-authored this summer, um, everything you said that made sense to me went in as a bracket somewhere in the manuscript. So at some point I had from you and other people and myself and my co-author, like, I don't know, 1300 sets of brackets. And so in that spreadsheet where it says, this is where I think you'll finish, I track the number of words I've edited, but also the number of brackets and not all bracket is the same, you know, are the same. Some are like insert a better word here and some are insert a scene here, but it gives me an idea of how things are going. Like I said, I need to know everything, Jamie, all the time. So tools, Excel, Google Sheets, something else, sub question, Mac, PC, tablet, phone. When you interact with spreadsheets, what's your preference? Only on the computer because I am old and phones have screens that are much too small. Um, and my preferred program is Excel because I know all the formulas or the ones that I use. And I don't like, there are several things about Google's sheets that I don't like, but when I'm teaching and I teach my plotting device, I had to put all of that in Google sheets. I'm just, I'm just not as happy with it. Favorite command or function in Excel? My favorite ever is VLOOKUP. I love VLOOKUPs. Um, it, it helped me a lot when I was a consultant in a previous life, when I was dealing with many, many lines of genuine data, not just data for managing the household in my life, but like numbers and clients and whatever. Um, I love a VLOOKUP. Um, I love... This is such a small thing. I love when I open a spreadsheet and one of the cells has the today command in it, that it changes everything in the spreadsheet when I open it. And so it already tells me, you know, you have eight days to go today. Um, I, I like that it does that. It, it feels like a little bit of magic for me. You always know what today is, Excel. And when the <laughs> clock changes to midnight, you know, you know. I love that. That is awesome. It is magic. It is. It makes me Um, happy. How do you feel about color coding cells and or typeface? Um, I don't mess with typeface. Like Mm. in Excel, I'm a straight up sans serif girl, usually Arial. Um, Because 
I don't mess around in spreadsheets. You know, when I'm writing a manuscript, of course, I'm using Times New Roman, but I don't mess with that. I do sometimes use bold for column headers because that's important. And sometimes for the top row of metadata, I will make that a specific color. I like conditional formatting. So if I enter a specific thing in a cell, it changes a certain color. That's good. I like that a lot. But I only make them certain colors if I need them to. So the plotting spreadsheet you and I worked with, now when I do the heart's desire, that is red. And then for all the different story arcs, they are all different colors. Um, and they're always in rainbow order because I, I like colors a lot. But I'm for colors, particularly, you know, if I need to call something to someone's attention, I'm sharing it with. Or if I need to highlight something I have forgotten repeatedly. Um, what's one thing about spreadsheets that you think other people might not know? Oh, how easy they are to manipulate. Um, you know, it's so helpful to sort lines in any different way. I think most people who sort them, sort them alphabetically by the A column. Um, but they're so easy to manipulate. So I run this camp. Um, I'm on the leadership team for this huge camp that's 500 people every summer in Seattle. And um, I had to put all of the camp, because I am the registrar, I put all of the campers into units together. And so there are siblings who you want to keep apart and siblings you want to keep together. That's just twins because they're grouped by age. And then some people have allergies and some people fought last year with a different camper. So you can't put them together. And we try to group, for instance, all the gluten allergies in one unit, and that is their dietary restriction. And we put the dairy allergies in another unit, so people aren't restricted by all of these allergies, um, that sort of thing. Medical emergency, all of those things. And so I can sort the kids based on any and all of those things. And whether it's okay to photograph them, include them in promotional materials, or whether one parent can pick them up and another parent can't. Like it, it's a lot of different ways I can look at the same information. And I don't think people who are, dare I say, normal, think of spreadsheets in that way. People who don't love spreadsheets and work, at, work with them a lot, I think underestimate their usefulness. In using sorting specifically, Mm -hmm. You have to know how to enter the data to make the sort useful. So for, and so that is something where I think if people have had a bad experience with that and don't realize that it's just because how they put the data in versus the actual functionality of the spreadsheet, that can be complicated. And I, I can always tell when I've gotten a spreadsheet from someone who's never sorted before or who's <laughs> never sorted on a separate column, you know, like a column beyond A, because with the writer that I work with, we were looking for newspapers in the state of Washington that accepted op-ed pieces. And we also just have a general spreadsheet of places we're interested in, in publishing. And so when I grabbed this list from this website of Washington papers that accept op-eds, the way I copied and pasted it, I knew it wasn't gonna sort properly. So mm -hmm. I took the time then to manipulate basically saying instead of Washington State newspaper, Everett Daily Herald, it said Everett Daily Herald, Washington State newspaper, so that when I wanted an alpha list of outlets, it would yeah. sort in the right place, but I would still know that that's the list that I got it from. 
Yeah. As opposed sense. to if I left them all Washington state newspapers, they would all group together under W. And when we right. were looking at Everett Daily Herald, we wouldn't be able to find it. Or if we had Everett Daily Herald already, it would end up duplicating because it wouldn't alpha in the same place. So, again, so how did you do that? Did you use a formula to take out Washington state dailies from the cell? I did it very simply. When it pasted in, it was pasted uh -huh. in two different cells. But oh. the Washington, the Washington State newspaper was in essentially the A column. So mm -hmm. I just copied it, put it in the C column, moved my B column, which had the names, into the A column, mm -hmm. moved the C column back into the B column so that I could still say that they were Washington State newspapers. Oh, and then did my, yeah, and then did my alpha search. Basically, I, yeah, it was, I was lucky that the way it pasted into our already done spreadsheet made that super easy. Um, I like when somebody sends me something in a spreadsheet and they put it the wrong way, like they put the information vertically instead of horizontally when it was something I was going to fill out. I like, I don't remember what it's called, but I like that uh, you copy it and you can paste it. What is the thing called? It has a word. Yes. Paste something. Yeah. Yeah. I like that paste that turns everything vertical into yes. uh, horizontal you know, most of the people in my daily life are not people who use a lot of spreadsheets, but they're interested. And so, you know, it's like a little bit of training. Yes. A little yes. bit of training. Uh, do you have thoughts? Transpose. Transpose, which makes sense because you're mm -hmm. transposing it. Yes. Um, do you have thoughts or feelings about CRMs? I assume you're talking about customer relationship management. So not the right tool for that. You need a database for that stuff because you will keep a whole lot of information for all of your customers. I mean, unless you only have, you know, a hundred or 200 customers, I guess you could keep it in a spreadsheet, but that's really sloppy. Um, and I don't know what everyone uses for that. Uh, mostly when I've been doing uh, customer sort of work, I was in development, so fundraising. And for that, we used Razor's Edge, which is designed for exactly that. It's Razor with an S, like fundraiser's edge, um, which is helpful. I think once you get over a couple hundred customers, it just turns very unmanageable and unwieldy. You know, Excel has its limits too. When you're running the functions and you have too many cells, it gets very cranky. I agree, although anyone who's listened to the podcast has heard me say that I don't trust the reporting functions of most CRMs I've had to work with. <laughs> so I am famous for exporting a large amount of data that I need and then manipulating it myself in Excel mm -hmm. so that I can see what I'm doing, as opposed to writing a report in the CRM and right. trusting that it's given me what I'm looking for. I can see that, but I assume you're not exporting all the data on all the customers. Right. So like I did a lot of this when I was in admissions work. So I might actually export everyone who's inquired this school year. I mean, it might be 900 records, mm -hmm. but I'm then going to delete a bunch of col columns. Mm -hmm. Then I might say, okay, now I'm only interested in ninth, 10th, and 11th grade. Like, so I'm deleting stuff as I go. Right. But you've um, already narrowed to everyone in choir, not yes. every student. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And our last rapid fire question, but do you know why and how to use a pivot table? Yes. I have used many pivot tables, again, in my former life as a consultant. 
but like I couldn't make you one right now and do it right because when you have to drag and drop the things, I'm so out of practice with that. But I use that a lot. Um, I won't tell you who my clients were, but when I was a management consultant, I used that at every client I went to see to look at things like their customer data or who were really their largest customers versus who were the squeaky wheels, which is a totally different thing. Mm -hmm. um, I like pivot tables. That's a fun way to look at a whole lot of data, but a very, a very particular thing about them. When you were talking about the camp, it sounded to me like pivot tables might be helpful when you were saying, you know, who can be picked up by whom or who has an allergy. Like you could count, right? How many people had allergies and I would think pivot tables would be helpful in the camp. Oh yeah. It's really helpful if I'm looking at the whole camp and looking for those sort of data that maybe head council would want. How many kids do you have with allergies at all? How many kids do you have with EpiPens or whatever? A lot of what I do to put the kids together is very manual, which is not the most fun, but it's kind of fun. I mean, you know, Sally wants to be with LaToya in her unit and they have to stick together. They're best friends. Okay. So, you know, I have to move them around right. to make that go. Um, but I like it. I like dealing with numbers and data more than like working with the public. <laughs> it's really funny that you say that because when I was in admissions, one of the things I frequently said was I was the perfect person for the job because I liked spreadsheets as much as I liked people. And it really, I yeah. had to use both of those sides of me. So, yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like my people one-on-one -on -one generally. So I've been volunteering in our bookshop because December is a really busy month for them, particularly this year when they are more, they are more warehouse than bookstore right now. Not many people can come in and browse in December of 2020. And so they're just taking a lot of phone orders or internet orders. So I've been going into the shop and sitting in the back room and calling a lot of customers just to tell them their books are here. And when I listen to the actual booksellers talking to customers who come in the shop, I realize I do not have the patience for that. Some people are just not very thoughtful and are not kind and are very demanded and demanding and entitled. And I just, I just can't. But if I have their customer data, I can deal with that. I'm very good at that. Yeah, my anxiety really comes into play when I'm dealing with the public. But good for you for doing both. You you have a much more outgoing personality than I do, and and you like sharing, and I don't. Well, I want I, to live under my rock. <laughs> I mean, yes, I am an outgoing extrovert, but I do think that there's this image of an admissions person who's just, you know, touring the campus and making small talk, but the days when I could close my door and dig into reports because it was a report heavy day, I loved those days too. And I don't think people generally understand that that's actually what it takes to be a successful admissions yeah. person or financial aid person. It's like you have to know and enjoy dealing with people and really serious, like their children, their finances, their thoughts on education, you have to be able to have really intense conversations one-on-one -on -one or do big presentations and you have to understand how to parse data. 
And if you can't do both of those things, it's probably not the right field for you. Right. And I think that's true of many fields. And, and honestly, I think someone who like you has the hard skills and the soft skills, as we call them, I think makes you a valuable asset, not just on an admissions or a financial aid team, but most workplaces you would go into because most people, you know, are very lopsided, 80, 20, one way or the other. Thank you, Michelle. Oh, you're welcome. (laughs) So we've come to our final thoughts section. So this is now a time for um, some fun questions. Uh, Any media, books, movies, shows, podcasts, et cetera, that you're loving right now and want to shout out for those who are stuck at home during the pandemic? (laughs) Which is most of us. So my favorite warm, warm book during 2020 was T.J. Clune's The House in the Cerulean Sea. Um, and I'd heard many, many people talking about it. It came out last in the spring of 2020. And I thought it was a middle grade book based on the cover, but it super isn't, I found out after my daughter read it. Um, but I love it. Like, it's just a great, it's a great magical book and it's queer and it's, it's just lovely. It, I find it totally charming. Uh, I'm rereading Nora Jemison's trilogy that starts with the fifth season. Oh, I love that to bits. In YA this year, I love the, the debut novel from Kim Johnson, This Is My America. So good. Um, like, and not good for a debut novel, but like legit a really, really good book. I loved that. But uh, I loved The Queen's Gambit. I thought that was really fun. I love anything with a strong female lead. Speaking of that, I had do live under a rock and just discovered Sarah Paretsky, who has been publishing for a billion years. Um, she writes a female detective series set largely in Chicago, which is super fun for me because she's going through all these neighborhoods I know, which is great. Um, Sarah she, has no H on the end. Yeah. Is she anything like Tana French? Because I'm needing, do you read Tana French? I don't. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Should I? Yes. Set okay. in um, Dublin. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. That's yeah. nice. Yeah. What about board games? I want to recommend any tabletops to anyone? Well, first I want to talk about a video game. So of course, Knives Out came out in 2020, maybe late 2019. Of course, everyone needs to watch that. That's a movie. It's the last movie I saw in the theater, by the way. Am I, how, how young does that go? So my kid, we love Clue, but we've already watched it four times. Can my kids see Knives Out? There's blood in the beginning. Okay. But then most of it, well, it depends. So I screen, so my kids, I don't restrict their reading at all. They can read whatever they want because I think if you read something that's above your head, it'll go over your head and that's fine. Um, I screen for violence in movies, like hardcore. I don't care who's kissing someone, no big deal. Like kissing and sex are natural biological things, but obviously I'm not looking for full frontal nudity and intercourse for them. But I screen for violence and that like, it has a kind of violent end but if you can laugh off what happens in Clue, they probably could laugh it off. That's, yeah, that's what I mean. Like, is yeah. it similar to that? Yeah. yeah. It's okay. so well done, Jamie. And it okay. is excellent storytelling. 
I desperately want to see it, but we yeah. rarely have time to watch anything that the kids aren't included in. So it's yeah. like, can I get they that. see it? Yeah. We've been watching old seasons of The Amazing Race, big travelers, huge, and we can't go anywhere. And so, you know, old seasons of The Amazing Race certainly scratch that itch. But you asked about board games. Um, I like Gloomhaven, and it's pretty fun right now. I bought a bunch of two player games for my partner for um, presents we exchanged this month. And I bought Field of Arles, which is an Uwe Rosenberg. Rosenberg did uh, Agricola and the one with the llamas and Lahav. I love Lahav too. I really like complex Euro games. They make me really happy. So I bought that and it was out of print almost everywhere and I had to special order it. So I'm really excited about that. Um, I will play just about any board game anytime. I really love them. And I also bought my partner Root, which is um, a zero sum game. So we used to have Tigris and Euphrates which is a zero sum game. And I didn't like it because anything he won meant a loss for me, which made me very grumpy. But that was before I had cancer. And now that I've had cancer and I went through that whole year of crap, I'm, I'm a very different person. And I feel like I can play a cutthroat game like that. So I bought Root. Um, but so lots, lots of board games in the house all the time. Um, and we just played We Were Here, which is a video game. It's a two-person co-op game, but you play on two different computers. That is really good for like a date night. So if you have a date night and two devices, We Were Here is great for two. Um, if you play remotely with other people, um, Among Us, of course, is fun. And also, we like Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes where one person has a virtual bomb in front of them with a lot of different problems they have to solve. And everyone else who's playing can't see the bomb, but has um, a bomb defusal handbook. That is super fun. Um, I like games like that. I like connecting with people because I only see the people in my house right now. And my sister who just moved to Seattle for the winter. Did I tell you that? You told me she was thinking about it. He did it. So she showed up the second week of November and had a little quarantine in a hotel outside the city. And now she's staying in an Airbnb that is half a mile away. So wait, I interrupted you. You said Knives Out came out. And what game was that related to? You were going to say? Oh, I just like mysteries. Okay. You know, I like mysteries. I like whodunits. I love detective novels. Um, and you haven't read Tana French. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm oh. excited too. Oh, um, don't, I would say read, even though they don't need to be read in order, yeah. I would read in order. Okay. So I have a list. I mean, I have her written down here. You know, it's really funny. I, I don't know whether I talk to you about your 10 things as an author, but now whenever I start classes, I talk about everybody's 10 things. Like what, are the 10 things in life that are most important to you or you're most passionate about. And of course, games are on my list and mysteries and detectives are on my list. And yet, not until right now have I written a novel about that and why. So now, of course, I'm writing that novel that's about both. 
which is exciting. That's awesome. Let's hope it sells. I, I know you don't spend a lot of time on social media. I often will post like, these are the 10 things that people always tag me into. So it's like yeah. Pittsburgh, positive <laughs> things, glitter, negative things, spreadsheets. <laughs> like I have those things that people know I love. And yes. Yeah. And you or, loathe glitter. I, I loathe glitter beyond. Yeah. Um, my, so every year my children make things for people in the family to show that they care about them, but it's not like mindless consumerism. And this year, my 12 year old decided to make bath bombs for everybody, which I thought was fine. And I'm trying to be an encouraging parent and the dyes that she got for the bath bombs are sparkly. And this is a new house, Jamie. When we moved into this house in May, we brought no glitter with us. Guess what? It's oh, everywhere. Oh. oh, gosh. Anything you're working on that you want to shout out? Social media handles, the, uh, places people can donate if they feel like it. Just use this as your, your yeah. time. Um, we have been donating the extra money we have to the Ballard Food Bank, which is our local food bank. Like, I would love to see people donate their money to their local food banks. Um, uh, famine has always been a problem in places in our country. You know, there, there's poverty in every city in the country, and the pandemic has really exacerbated that. Um, and it's exacerbated everything for everyone, but especially people living in poverty and persons of color. Um, so anything you can do to lift those people up is excellent. Uh, I think that's really important that we take care of ourselves. Um, I don't have anything to shout out. I don't really live on Twitter very much, but on Twitter, I'm Michelle Bacon, one word, one L in Michelle and bacon like breakfast meat. And on Instagram, where I also don't live very often, I am writer Michelle Bacon, all one word, um, one L and Michelle and Bacon like breakfast. And sometimes I'm there and I'll be there for a week. And then I think, oh, I don't want to live here anymore. Um, I went, I had a really hard time in November um, with my mental health and was having in late October and early November, a lot of um, panic attacks, genuine panic attacks where I thought I was going to die because, you know, it feels like a heart attack. And at that point, I went on a news diet. And even though I don't feel like a really good citizen of the world right now, like I don't know what's going on, I feel a lot less anxious. Like I miss the days where there was just the six o'clock news and you got the news and it was over. The 24-hour news cycle and Twitter and Facebook and all of the things really exhausts me. Um, I, I highly advocate a news diet. If you could just leave it alone for even a month, that would be good. I am often envious of your ability to not live online. And yet, again, I think it's one of those ways that we're different where I, I think, I think I could be wrong, knowing what's going on actually helps calm me, even if it makes me it makes me upset, but it also makes me feel maybe a little bit more in control that I at least have the, the lay of the land, even though that lay of the land is not how I would like it to lay at the moment. Yeah. So. I mean, you and I have, we talked even in this conversation about how I like the big picture. Um, I think 
I have learned recently how to distinguish knowing as much as possible about the big picture Mm -hmm. and knowing only the things I have control over because I feel so overwhelmed when I can't do anything about the dumpster fire. Um, Then, you know, you and I talked before we started recording about food. It's the same thing. Like, I know I am better off not eating meat because my guts don't like meat. And I know mentally I'm better off without reading a lot of news, but I for sure am going to read your article that's coming out soon. It will already have come out when you post this podcast. It will. Look for Jamie in the Huffington Post. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So this is our last question. And it's when you get to ask me about anything you want, spreadsheet related or not. Yeah, you and I talked earlier about your second manuscript and your deadlines and things for that. What I want to know is, what's your project for after that manuscript? Like starting with a clean slate, Jamie. Well, unfortunately, unfortunately, there won't be a clean slate because I've already started working on my memoir. And, uh-huh. and that's what I would like to focus on and why I'd really want the deadline for the second manuscript so that I can be done with it or feel done with it. Cause I'd really, the memoir is really tugging at me and really pulling a lot of my energy. However, you may remember earlier in the fall, I called you on one of my long drives and said, I have a new shiny idea. What do you think of this idea? So the camp novel is also out there in the future. And I'm super excited for a time when I can start working and focusing on that. Sure. Everyone I know who's writing memoir, particularly, I mean, you, memoir brings up all the things and all the emotions. And you and I have talked about that a little bit about what you're writing. Do you think it's a nice soft landing for you to have the camp book available when you need a mental and emotional break from the memoir? For sure. For sure. I mean, when I think about writing the camp book, I just have a big smile on my face. And that is certainly not how I feel when I think about writing the memoir, which is fine. I tend towards the dark. I don't always need to be smiling. I'm totally fine with that. But when I do think about writing the camp memoir, I just sort of get a little bit giddy. And that that is something to look forward to. Yeah. I have two more questions. Number one, does it bother you when people call it memoir? I've never heard anyone call it memoir. Yeah. This old, this dude who lived on my old street before we moved, who was always telling me he was going to write a novel. He was probably 79. So like he had had time, Mm -hmm. but you know, he was going to write it. And and then he told me he was going to write a memoir. And it wasn't like a Boston accent. It wasn't like, it was like he was saying it in French. Just question. Okay, last question. So you are going to have your children at home for it sounds like 10 days without any schooling they need to undertake, which is awesome. What are you going to do with that time? So we know we're going to watch White Christmas because we're good Jews. We're looking forward to that. (laughs) What do you mean? Wait a minute. You're going to watch White Christmas because you're good Jews. I can't put those two things together. Right. So, I mean, it's sort of a joke because why, why are us Jews so excited to um, watch White Christmas? Although I will tell you, do you know the movie or the, the oh, musical? Yes. 
Yeah. So it's not my sister super, and I. Sisters. Yeah. Sisters. It's not a super Christmas show for no, Christmas not. being in its name. So it's sort of just a joke that Marketing. we. Yeah, that we just like. But also, I think Jews wrote it, right? Jews. I mean, Jews <laughs> have written a lot of the Christmas songs. So uh, White Christmas is on our schedule. Um, so. I'm going to say gingerbread houses, but we are going to make them with graham crackers. So I don't know if that's another, if it should have another name. Totally counts. So every year we have gone to a cookie party. It's called a cookie, a cookie bake, where you literally show up. Everyone shows up with a potluck item and dough. And you bake the cookies there throughout the day and you decorate the cookies there. Oh, that house must be so hot. It's, you know what, it's amazing. Keep in mind, we live in Pennsylvania, not Seattle. <laughs> uh, however, obviously, there was no cookie bake this year. And when, I, when we were talking about how much we missed it, my kids were really missing the gingerbread houses that were set up in one of the rooms while, you know, the cooking and the decorating was going on in another room. So I told them that I got all the supplies, but we're going to do it with graham crackers because I, I tend to remember from my childhood that gingerbread is actually very hard to bake in a way that it is then structurally sound. So I know that's on the schedule. And that's not true at all, by the way, but okay. Okay. I could talk to you about gingerbread. Wait a minute. Do you, how do you feel about Trader Joe's? We don't have one. Oh, never mind. They make pretty good gingerbread house kits. Yeah. I looked online for gingerbread house kits. They're expensive. They are, but Trader Joe's ones are cheap, but inexpensive. I mean, they're not cheap, but, uh, you also, so if you look for a gingerbread recipe that is a ginger snap recipe, they're totally structurally sound. Well, I have a great ginger snap recipe, thanks to actually a friend of mine who, and it is actually dairy free, which is super exciting. Mm-hmm. But to bake evenly, like things have to be the right width and height, and I did graham crackers. That's fine. Use graham crackers, but I will tell you that's part of the charm. Okay, fair enough. What is this? What is going to happen here? If you go into my Instagram, I don't know. So go back a year or two years or three years, you will see that with my gingerbread house, I told a whole story of murder and mayhem. Oh, okay. Quality stuff. Okay. Here I turned my uh, gingerbread house literally on its head and turned it into a campsite instead. Anyway, the poor people listening to this are like, man, I am so over December. It's January. And lucky you people, it's 2021 already. Is everything better yet? So that's, I was going to say, by the time this drops, we will know what I have done for those 10 days because who knows? Weather has a lot to do with it, right? So if it's nice enough, we will go for hikes. We do still see one family outside for bonfires. So if the, if the weather permits there will be bonfires. This is a family that we typically spend New Year's Eve with. We won't be doing that because it's just too cold to stay out all night for that. Yeah. So yeah, so we'll see. I mean, we, we bob and weave a lot. There is, uh, the kids did get a switch for Hanukkah because we knew, we knew this sort of long, dark winter was coming. Uh, but we also were lucky enough to get a hand-me-down foosball table. So yeah, so, th- so th- we'll see. We'll see. Well, this has been lovely. Yay. Thank you. Thank you for taking time. And I do, I just, I'm going to shout you out because if people are thinking about writing 
the great American novel as we are still quarantined and locked down. And who knows, <laughs> as my husband keeps saying, oh, there's just going to be another one of these in a year. Like, this is just going to keep happening. And I was like, oh, don't say that. Um, Michelle is an amazing writing coach who uses spreadsheets to help you <laughs> plot your novel. And I highly, highly highly recommend it. Yeah. And if this drops in January, the deadline is at the end of January. You can find it at coach bacon, bacon again, like breakfast meat.com coach bacon.com coach bacon.com. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, Michelle. I will talk to you soon. Take care. Bye Jamie. Thanks so much for listening today. Please remember to subscribe rate and review everywhere you get your podcasts. Find us on Twitter at column underscore pod. Special thanks to Nora Grace and Josiah for our theme song, Sam Schindler for editing and production, Nick Peterson for additional music, and you for listening. Have a great day.